You are listening to Pastor Dave Lusk of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Get Out of the Stands and Into the Game, based on Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, recorded on Sunday, February 4th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Dave as he preaches. Welcome everybody. It is good to be with you here. I am so excited to jump into the word with you. Uh, For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Dave. I'm the youth pastor here. If you're used to seeing Pastor Mike, uh, don't worry, nothing bad has happened. Uh, Preaching here doesn't work like the presidential line of succession. So we don't, we don't have a, a designated survivor situation on our hands or anything like that. Mike approached me earlier this month and asked if I'd like an opportunity to preach while he was away. I was like, absolutely. I would love to bring the word for our wonderful church on a weekend. And so it is a great weekend to be with you, right? Couldn't have picked a better weekend. Not talking about the weather, but talking about what's going on this weekend, right? It's exci- You're excited, Right? I know I'm excited. This is, this is the time of year when our attention, our collective attentions, gather to one place. Right? We're, maybe last year you were a little disappointed in the outcome. Yeah, I, I know I was. You know, we're still feeling the sting of that a little bit. Um, that's okay. So maybe this year you're coming in with a renewed sense of hope. Right? You're, you're hoping for this, this outcome. You, you know, you're cheering for it. You're ready. Right? Our eyes draw all to one place. Gobbler's Knob, Punxsutawney, right? It's, it's Groundhog Day. No? Not, that's, that's not what you've been waiting for? Oh, not rooting for? Okay. It is Super Bowl weekend, though. I, I am excited for Super Bowl weekend. And what a weekend to gather, right? This is the year where suddenly all of Pennsylvania became Eagles fans. <laughs> Not sure how that happened, but, you know, whatever, we'll roll with it. Um, there's just something so fascinating about our relationships with our sports teams. Have you ever noticed this? I notice I do this as well. Maybe you do. Um, the way we cheer for our teams. We, we use we statements, right? I've found this to be generally true whenever we talk about the Steelers. Maybe you're a Penguins fan. Maybe you're a Pirates fan. Um, maybe you're going to hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right, but we, we use we statements. The Steelers' loss to the Jaguars was really disappointing, and, and so, like anything, as good Americans, when we're disappointed with it, we, we took our complaints to social media. Um, we littered Facebook with, with our collective displeasure at at the coaching staff, at the defense. Right, we need to fire Todd Haley. We need to fire Tomlin. We need to fire anybody. Uh, we need to get a better defense. We need to draft better. We 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 we. All the way home. Um, and it's just fascinating to me how, how we get so emotionally connected and everything. We, we, you know, we talk about our teams like we're, like we're on the sidelines with them, right? Like we're a part of it. But really, we aren't. I don't play for the Steelers. If they lose the game, I don't, I don't look like, right? I don't lose the game. I just go home at the end of the day or turn off the TV. If they win the game, I'm not there celebrating. I don't get to reap the benefits of winning the Super Bowl. And so the question I have to ask today for us is this. Is your relationship with the church like your relationship with a sports team? Is your relationship with the church like your relationship with the Steelers, with football? 
See, when it comes to life in the church, are you a player? Are you a spectator who thinks they're a player and talks like a player? Does your relationship to Harvest look like your relationship to the Steelers? Do you talk about church with we statements? We have great worship uh, on Sundays. We have great children's ministry. We have the fourth best youth pastor in the world. Um, Jesus, Doug Fields, young Fred, Dave. (laughs) Humble, too. (laughs) Do you use those kind of statements, right? That's not saying you can't be excited about what's going on in your church and talk about what we have and encourage people to be a part of it, but are you a part of it? Or are you just a fan of it? Are you a part of it? Or are you just a fan? If you're a fan of what we're doing as a church and not a part of it, then I'm here to say you're missing out. That's not meant to be a condemnation statement. I'm not here to to guilt anybody into doing anything. That's just an invitation. Right? Come be on the other side of it. You can be a part of it. You don't have to simply be just a fan. Because a fan will never know what it's like to be a player unless they get out of the stands and go down onto the field until they step out onto that field with the team, until they run the plays, until they're in the huddle. I'm not here to beat you up or beat you down. I'm here to invite you out of the stands and into the game. I'm saying you don't have to just be a spectator. You really can be a player. You don't have to sit up in the stands and watch what's going on. You can actually be a part of it because church is not a spectator sport. Building the church is the job of everyone. Church is not a spectator sport. It's for all of us. My wife and I are big hockey fans, all right? Um, Now, I didn't become a hockey fan until much later in life, um, probably because I grew up in Arizona. Uh, Apparently, (laughs) hockey's not real big in the desert for some reason. Um, I don't know why. Ice, hot weather, sounds like a perfect match, but, you know, whatever. So we became, I became a fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And hockey's designed to be a spectator sport. Anybody ever go to one of the games? Right? Anybody ever go to any sporting events? Sporting events are designed for spectators. Even if you just go to your local high school games, they're designed for spectators. You've got a stadium or an arena that's overlooking the, the field of play, the sports field, the ice, whatever it is, the baseball diamond. All these seats turn towards the same thing. And so I think we can get in our minds that church works the same way because we all gather in one space and there's all these seats and you're all looking at the same thing. (laughs) And so it can feel similar because of how we gather, but if your relationship to the church is the same as your relationship to the local sports teams, then you are. You're missing out because the church is not meant for spectators. We don't gather to sit and spectate on, on Sundays. We gather together as the church to encourage one another because there's work to be done, there's ground to be taken, and there's a goal we're striving for. And the goal that we're striving for is the one that Christ entrusted to us thousands of years ago when he ascended into heaven to build his church. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, or Bible app, all good. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is in The New Testament, uh, if you're finding the names difficult to read, go further. Um, If they're like names of kids in your neighborhood, John, Mark, Luke, go just a little bit farther. Um, So Ephesians is in the New Testament, Ephesians 4. Actually, Mike was in Ephesians 4 uh, just a few weeks ago when he did his Sanctity of Life sermon. We're going to be 
almost in the same place. We're just going to back up a couple verses. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. You ready? All right. Rather, okay, hold on. Um, oh, we're going to pause here for a second. The sermon's going to take forever if he does it word for word. Uh, <laughs> I heard that thought. Um, rather, okay, anytime we see a word like that, rather, but, for, therefore, anytime you see that word, you should ask what comes before it. Because that's a transition word to making a point. And so briefly, not exhaustively, because that's not what we're preaching about tonight, Paul has been exhorting, that means encouraging, teaching the church in Ephesus towards maturity, towards growing up in, in Christ, um, so that they would no longer be like children in the faith, easily deceived. Okay? So that's what he's transitioning to. Ephesians 4, 15, 16 says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is encouraging them and us to be moving forward, to be taking ground, to be growing up in our faith more and more into the image of Christ. See, faith is not a stagnant thing. It's not, I raised my hand when when the preacher gave the invite. It's not, I prayed the prayer that he told me to. It's not, I got dunked that one day down in the park when it was a little cold and the water was dirty. And and now I'm just kind of waiting till Jesus shows up or I die, whichever comes first, right? That's not the goal. Faith is a journey. We have started something. The invitation of Christ is to follow him, to move forward in faith. When you prayed that prayer, when you raised your hand, when you got dunked, That wasn't the end, and now you're just waiting. That was the beginning of your journey. That's when your faith started, right? And and it's something that continues for our whole life. See, Paul tells us that we're to be growing up more and more into the image of Christ. That's the goal. That's what we're moving towards. That's what we're striving towards, into the image of Jesus who called us out of sin and into this new life. Because Jesus is glorified in your growth. Jesus is glorified in your growth, and so you build the church by building up yourself. Christ is glorified when we grow, when we are no longer who we were, and when we become more and more like him. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. Right? Christ is glorified in our growth, and so we build the church by building ourselves up. My growth glorifies Jesus, glorifies him. I am made more and more into the image of Jesus, and so my growth is simply more of Jesus being revealed in my life. See, the old Dave couldn't have quoted for you Galatians 2.20, but that's okay. He's dead now. The new Dave is here, much better model. That is the truth of who we are. And so Paul encourages us onward to be growing up in every way into Jesus, who is the head. To be growing up in our faith so that more and more of Jesus is revealed in and through our lives. So the world begins to see Jesus in how we live. Because it's our lives that communicate to the world the truth of who Jesus is. Very simply, how you live your life communicates to others the truth of who Jesus is. And simply put, the world does not judge fairly. It just doesn't. See, the world seeks your failure. Um, Hypocrites, they'll say. The word gets thrown around a lot. See, this is why I would never go to church, people would say. It's just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. They're they're just as bad or worse than I am, and 
and they don't even admit to it. Bunch of hypocrites, right? Look down on us, and they're just worse than we are. See, our society likes to latch on to these stories of the worst of us, the ones who've really fallen into sin, pastors who have cheated on their wives or defrauded their their congregations, leaders who have abused children, liars, cheaters, frauds. And they say, see, we knew it. This is who they are. This is their true colors. Right? And it's not fair because it's not like the world looks at the best of us and says, oh, wow, look at how great that person, they must all be, well, clearly i got to join a church. Look how good those people are. Just look at this one here. They say, no, that's the exception. If they were all like that, then maybe I would go to church, but they aren't. It's not fair, but that is the reality. See, our conduct represents to the world around us the truth of who Jesus is. How you conduct yourself out in the world communicates to the world who Jesus is. And so when people look at you, who are they going to see? Who is it that they're going to see in your life? Will they see you or will they see Jesus? See, my job is to get out of the way so that people can see Jesus. My job is to move aside so that people can see him. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul calls us ambassadors. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. The job of an ambassador is to represent well the one who sent them. You have been sent as an ambassador to Armstrong, to Westmoreland, to Allegheny, to uh, other ones, Indiana, Butler. You have been sent as an ambassador to where you live, to your neighborhoods, to western Pennsylvania, by Jesus. It is him who sent you. He put you here for a purpose, to represent him and to call those who do not know him into a relationship with him, to be reconciled to him just as you are. So you're a follower of Jesus First, you're not a mechanic who goes to church. You're not a teacher who goes to church. You're not a doctor or a nurse who goes to church. Right? You, are, you are first an ambassador for Christ. You are a follower of Jesus who works. You're a follower of Jesus who teaches. You're a follower of Jesus who doctors or nurses. You're a follower of Jesus who mechanics. Sure. <laughs> Youth pastor, just go with it. Right? How would our conduct change outside of this space if we saw ourselves first as ambassadors in our world? How would the world around us change? And it's more than simply our conduct. See, Paul calls us to maturity. He says, rather than remaining immature, right, we are to speak the truth in love and grow up into Jesus. See, because Jesus is glorified when a sinner comes to salvation. And so you build the church by living out and speaking the truth in love. Jesus is glorified when a sinner comes to salvation. He receives glory. They celebrate. There's a party in heaven. Jesus is glorified when you, a sinner, repented and came to know him. And so we build the church by living out and speaking the truth. We have growing yet to do, church. That's the reality. There is more of Christ that needs to be revealed in your life. Trust me, there's more of Christ that needs to be revealed in my life. And hopefully you have experienced that truth. Hopefully on looking back at your journey, however long it's been, you can see the transformation starting to happen. You can see the steps that God has moved you from who you were into the new person of Christ. 
And at the same time, the body has growing to do. There are new people. The church has growing to do. There are people who, who aren't here that are supposed to be. The empty seats next to you belong to somebody. You just haven't found them yet. That's, that's the point. This is, this is still going. And I know that's true because God's word tells me it's true. Jesus, in Matthew 24, 14, speaks to his disciples about the end of all things. And he says, and this gospel, that's just the good news, the story, the, the revelation, right, of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The Greek word ethnos there, being translated as nations, has a a richer meaning, I think, and it means people or people groups. It's not about physical land. It's about people, individual hearts for the gospel. The world will go out to the whole world, to all the people. And so, since the end hasn't happened yet, since Jesus hasn't come back... There's still work to be done. That's what this scripture tells me. There are still people who have not heard the message of Christ and responded to it. There are still people in our communities and around the world who need to know the truth of who Jesus is. The good news that Jesus died for all sinners. The good news that any who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. See, Jesus is glorified in every sinner who repents, who turns and follows him. And they then become a part of his mission. What a beautiful thing that is. We moved from enemies to co-workers, to co-laborers, to heirs. And it isn't making, right, the mission of Christ isn't about making mean people nice. I think many times we can get that confused. It's about making dead people alive. I think far too often we can focus on the external behaviors. I need to get this person to be nice, right? I got to box them in and shave off all the rough edges. Jesus will take care of that. You had plenty of rough edges that needed sanding down. It starts at the heart. It starts at knowing and receiving the truth of who Jesus is. It starts at calling on his name for salvation, right? Inward to outward. Jesus is glorified in every sinner who repents, who turns and follows him. Jesus' mission is accomplished throughout the world by bringing those who were against him onto his team. And so the body of Christ, the church, grows It's meant to grow. If it didn't, we wouldn't be here. It would have ended thousands of years ago. It does the same thing your living body does. It grows, especially around the holidays. It's like it's in sync, right? You grow, church grows. It's like like the freshman 15, except at Christmas, right? That is what Jesus is doing. He's growing his church, his body. He's bringing in new people. He's sending us out to do just that, and it doesn't happen by accident. See, when I decided to follow Jesus, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like I was walking by one day and someone came from out of nowhere and like quick baptized me and then suddenly I was saved. And I saw the light, I saw the... If that's how salvation worked, then we should not spend our days here. We should just all walk around our neighborhoods with a bowl of water and just dunk anyone who's not looking. You get saved and you get all Oprah Winfrey on our, Right? And you get saved, and you get saved. It doesn't happen by accident. I've joined things accidentally before. There's magazines all over my house that will prove that to be true. I've joined many a mailing list without ever realizing it. Right? In high school once, I, I joined and became in charge of the stage and tech crew accidentally. 
Um, was not on stage and tech crew at all. Was just simply like knew some guys who were on it and was around for a little bit in the summer because of like another club I was a part of. And then like fresh or senior year rolls around in the fall and like I'm in charge. And, and like the faculty is coming up and like, hey, we want to talk to you about this event we're having in the auditorium later. Cool. Sounds like fun. Why are you talking to me? You know, <laughs> like I have no clue what's going on. But they refused to accept that I wasn't in charge, which was weird because the guy in charge was very angry about that. <laughs> but there I was, senior year, in charge of stage and tech, had no clue what was going on. You can accidentally join a lot of things, but in middle school, when I decided to follow Jesus, to put my trust in him, my whole trust in him, that was not an accident. That was a decision, right? It wasn't that I was walking by the church and someone dragged me inside, right? Christ was working in my life long before I ever set foot. He was calling to me. See, salvation comes from hearing and responding to the truth of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, And the people in our lives, the people in your circles of influence, need to hear that truth. And they're not going to respond to a message you've never told them. They're not going to respond to a Jesus you've never said anything about. You could be the nicest neighbor in the world. You could mow every lawn, shovel every walkway, and still be no closer to seeing your neighbor saved. Right? It's not about being nice. It's about the message, the truth of who Jesus is. They aren't going to respond to the words that you don't speak. They aren't going to receive the invitation you don't give. See, Jesus is glorified when his body, the church, is united. Jesus is glorified when we, his body, are united. And so you build the church by being united with the church. You build the church by being united with the church. And yes, that's, suppo- that's not a typo. That is supposed to be big C, little C there. All right? There's a reason for this. Um, because the body of Christ, the church universal, has local expressions. That's what this is. It is a local expression of the, the universal church. See, gatherings, we, we call this church. That's the word we use. It just means assembly, gathering. We're called to be united, and Jesus prayed that we would be united. See, it was so important to him that right before he was going to the cross, this is what was on his heart. This is what was on his mind. In John 17, we're told that Jesus spent time in the Garden of Gethsemane praying so fervently that he began to sweat blood. And one of the things he prayed for was us. It was you and me. And here's what he prayed for us in John 17, 20, and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's talking about his disciples, the one he's entrusted his message to, the one he's, he's been with for a few years now. He's saying, I don't pray for them only, but for those who will believe because of their word, because of what they're saying, because of the truth, because of the message. So you're not, Jesus isn't saying, I don't pray for them only because of... You know, those who will receive me because of their good deeds. Those who will receive me because they left a fake 20 at the restaurant that told them to, to see me, right? You ever seen those tra- disappointed? You won't be if you believe in Jesus. Well, I am right now. <laughs> he didn't pray for them saying, you know, I, 
I don't pray for these only, but those who will believe because of their posts on Facebook. I don't pray for these only, but for those who will believe because of whatever. It's their word. It's the message. That they may all be one. He's praying for unity just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity as a body communicates to the world the truth of Christ's love. Jesus prays for the disciples that are there and following him now, and he prays for us right here, today, in this room. Those who believe in Jesus because of their words, hearing and responding to the message of truth. Jesus' prayer is that we would be one, that we would be united as he and the Father are. So you can't be united with Jesus outside of the body. That's the simple reality. You cannot be united with Jesus outside of the church. You cannot be united with Jesus apart from other believers. Right? You, don't, you don't get to do this off in the woods alone by yourself as much as you may want to. That's not how it works. Because the place to be united with the body, to be united with the assembly of believers, to be united with the church eternal is here in the local church. And the hundreds and hundreds of other local healthy churches. Being united here gives glory to the one who calls us. There's no life outside of the body. That's true of Jesus' body and that's true of the physical body. See, if I cut off my finger, which I'm not going to do, object lessons are impressive, but... Hospital bills are expensive. Um, there might be, is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> no? Okay. I'm definitely not going to do it. All right. But if I cut off my finger, it dies. That's the right finger cut off, it dies. I could set it right here and keep it near me. I could put it in my pocket, like carry it around with me, so I could still count to 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Right? <laughs> But if it's not connected to me, it dies. Now I can cut it off, but as long as I reattach it, we'll be good. The same is true of your life here. See, attendance in the body, being a fan, being a spectator, isn't being united into life. Isn't being connected into life in Christ, into life in the body. See, attendance is not life. It's simply existence. Attendance in the body is simply existence near the body. It's not life. It's not the same thing, right? Something cut off continues to physically exist, but it ultimately dies. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't call us to come and follow him and find existence. Jesus called us to come and follow him and to know life to the full. See, that happens only in unity with him, only in being here, being connected to the body. And that connection, that unity is essential. You can't read the New Testament and come away thinking that the only thing Jesus desired was attendance on Sundays. Jesus doesn't call fans, he calls followers. Those who will be united with him in building the church. He had a purpose. Pastor Mike said last week that the church exists so that God can love us, can pour his love out onto us. Why wouldn't he want that to grow? God is glorified in how he loves us. And so those who will be united with the church must be a part of it, have to connect. If Jesus simply called attenders, then we wouldn't be heirs, we wouldn't be co-laborers, we would be consumers. 
Jesus didn't call consumers. He didn't call fans. He called followers. And here's the thing. Your physical body has no passive parts. Now, I'm not a scientist. I've never claimed to be a scientist, but I've watched lots of Grey's Anatomy and House MD. So I think I'm pretty qualified to speak on this, right? Your body has no passive parts. In fact, when one of them stops working, it messes everything else up. Some of you are hacking along in agreement, right? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Your body has no passive parts. Anyone whose appendix has been removed knows the truth of this. We don't know what the appendix does, but when it stops working, it makes the world, like, terrible. Everything has to work together in order for the body to work. When one stops functioning, it causes issues somewhere else. So it is with the body of Christ. You are all parts of the body. I cannot do your part. You can't be passive. You have a role to play in this. You are essential to the mission of building the church. Active participation in the body, in the church, is a supernatural thing. See, because Christ is the one who works in and among us. There's something supernatural going on in this space right now. There's something amazing happening here. We're told that when we gather that Christ is amongst us, that he is here. His spirit is active amongst us. There's something supernatural, something beyond what we can see going on here. The Holy Spirit is actively working in your lives to build you up. The Spirit is actively working through me in delivering the message, not because I'm so special, but because that's, that's the function that God has entrusted to me in the body. The Spirit is actively making us more and more into the image of Christ, revealing more and more of the character of Christ to build the church, to call sinners to repentance. We are not merely a gathering of like-minded individuals. We are not a social club. This is not Boys and Girls Club of America. This is not the YMCA. Not knocking those things, but there is something amazing going on in our midst that doesn't happen anywhere else, that only happens when you're connected into life in the body. Christ is in our midst, actively growing his church. I can't physically see it, but Jesus tells me that when we gather here, he's in our midst, that he's at work, that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, is at work. And it's not just when we're in this physical space. This is important. I don't want to diminish this. Belonging to this is important. But it goes beyond just these walls. It's at work beyond this physical space. Don't think that when you come here and sit and listen to some guy talk, that you're like, man, that was so great. And then go do whatever the rest of the week. You're missing what it means to be a part of the actual body. You belong just as much on Monday, on Wednesday, on whatever day as you do today. You were essential to the mission that Jesus is accomplishing, building his church. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. The whole body, right, that's the whole church, that is the church universal, is the subject of the sentence. Yeah, you didn't know it was going to be English class today. Sorry. The next two parts are set off by commas. Those are called appositive phrases. My mother would be so proud that I knew that. (laughs) Mostly because I was terrible at English as a child. 
Um, I'm still terrible at English, full confession. I had to Google it. <laughs> I know it now because it's in the notes. <laughs> right? But there are positive phrases. All that means is that they explain the subject. They explain it further. And so when you take them out, right, when we jump to the end of the sentence, we finally get the verb. The whole body makes the body grow. The whole body makes the body grow. Right? From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, right? those are both describing the body, from whom the whole body makes the body grow. All the parts working together make the body grow. This is true of physical bodies. This is true of our spiritual bodies. The whole body must grow in order for it to be healthy. The whole body must work together in order for it to be healthy. We are called to grow in the image of Christ. We are called to share the truth of the gospel. We are called to call sinners to repent, to call on the name of Jesus for salvation. Right? Some of you are, are called and gifted to be evangelists. I've seen it. It's amazing. Some of you are specifically gifted for that role within the body. But all of us are called to evangelize, to share the truth, to speak the truth in love. Some of you are called and gifted to lead worship. We have such talented worship teams at all of our campuses. Some of you probably wish you could do that. Some of you probably think you can. (laughs) Not all of us are called to lead in worship, but we are all called to be worshipers, to participate actively in the worship of our glorious God. Some of us are called to preach and teach. How's it going? (laughs) Right? Some of us are are gifted for that. Young Fred. (laughs) (laughs) but all of us are called to speak the truth in love. All of us are entrusted with the same message. All of us are entrusted with the same task of calling sinners to repentance. And all of us are called to apply the truth of the scriptures to our lives. See, it's not just me here professionally. The only time, if the only time you're applying scripture to your life, seeking to apply the truths that you're learning, is here in this space. If this is the only time you're like, oh man, that's really challenging then you're missing out on on real life in the body. You are stunting your growth. I hope you know that. All of us have roles to play. All of us have responsibilities, which is why I love love this phrase. Um, It gets said a lot. I'm I'm not pointing fingers if if you've said this to me in the past. (laughs) Lots of love to you. But I love when people come up to me and say, you know, I really think the church should, insert whatever here, Right? You know, Pastor, that was such a great... I really wish the church would. You know, Pastor, there's, I've been walking around town, and like, I, just, I really wish the church would do more to outreach to the community. I really think the church should do more for orphans and widows. I really think the church should insert whatever here. And here's why I like the phrase, right? Because I agree with the statement 100%. I'm fully behind those ideas. I'm fully behind doing more to love orphans and widows. I'm fully behind doing more to outreach in our neighborhoods, to communicate the message of Jesus to the people who need to hear it. Here's the thing, though. When people make those statements to me, I often wonder if they realize that they're the church. Hey, pastor, I really think the church should. I'm like, awesome. I think that's a great idea. What do you need from me in order to help you do that? And they just kind of stand there like, no, that's not what I was saying. (laughs) 
What they really mean is, Pastor, I really think you should, insert whatever here, Pastor, I really think the church should do more outreach in the neighborhoods. Great. What do you need from me in order to spread the message of Jesus in your neighborhood? Pastor, I really think the church should do more to love orphans and widows. Great. Who are the orphans and widows in your life that you want to show love to? How can I help you do that? The church is not a group of professionals hired to make things happen. If you're relying on me to get this thing done, you are going to be very, very disappointed. (laughs) It's dependent on all of us. We are the church. Somebody in Freeport just said Penn State. <laughs> right? I really think that the church should. See, spectators talk about what teams should do. Spectators talk about what a team needs to do in order to win. Players go out and make it happen. Players go out and get it done. At the end of the day, spectators don't win games. That's the simple truth. Lots of people watched the Steelers lose to the Jaguars a few weeks ago. It was painful. I know it's probably still fresh. You probably don't want me to bring it up. We're just going to ignore that it ever happened. But the truth is it happened. You might have even been one of the people who were watching it to the bitter end, cheering. I understand the pain. I've been there. But here's what I'm sure of. I'm certain that if more people watched the game, it would not have changed the outcome. I'm certain that if the Steelers had more spectators, it would not have changed the outcome of the game. In fact, I didn't hear at a single press conference, you know, Big Ben sitting there going, man, you know, if we just had more people watching us, I think we could have pulled it out. Like, you know, if it's like two more fans, and I think we could have done it. Nobody talks like that at the end of the game. Spectators don't win games. Church, it's time to get some skin in the game. It's time to get out of the stands. It's time to get onto the field. We're in this together. This isn't about you and me individually. It's not about youth ministry or kids ministry or any other ministry. It's not about Indiana. It's not about Freeport. It's not about Catanning. It's not about PVC. This is bigger than that. This is about your church, your body, where you belong, where you're united. Are you united here? Are you building here? Not only here, but in the whole world. All those who are lost and in need of the gospel, do you have a heart that is burdened for them to know the truth, to be united with Christ as you are united? It's way too easy to say that we have hurting people here we need to care for. It's somebody else's job to plant churches all around the world. No, it's our job. It is our job to plant churches all around the world, and it is our job to care for the hurting people who are here in our own backyard I should care about what's going on in your family. I should. We should know what's going on with one another. This isn't a a group of individuals occupying the same space. This is a body. This is a family. You should care about what's going on in my family as much as I care about what is going on in your family. Fierce independence works against us here. It's going to be countercultural. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. But it's important. It's how we grow being connected to one another. That's what unity looks like. That is what each part building up another part looks like. Do you belong to the community or do you just occupy space here on a weekend? And here's the thing. The only thing that makes this work is love. Love is the only thing that makes this work. 
Love is the only thing powerful enough to get us there, to bring about real life change. Guilt won't work. I can't make you guilty enough for this to work. Now I'm good, so I might be able to make you guilty for a couple days, a week, maybe a month if you're really listening. But for this to take root long term, it can't be motivated by guilt. It has to be motivated by love. It is love that carries this through our entire lives. It is love for Christ. It is understanding the depths of God's love for us in sending his son to die on the cross. It is understanding the truth of who Jesus is and what he did that that moves us into this new life. It is having such a depth of love for Jesus that we couldn't imagine life without him, that we can't help but follow where he leads. There's no trying to split our affections There's no trying to to kind of be in, but still kind of be out. It's all or nothing. It's love of Christ that moves us to action, that moves us out of the stands and into the game. That's the only way we'll risk it, to be so enamored with Christ and what he has done for us, to be so in love with the person of Jesus that we can't help but desire to be completely united with him, to be sold out completely. I like to think about the Apostle Paul when I think about this. Paul, who was vehemently opposed to to the early church. Paul, who actively worked towards its destruction. Think about that for a second. Paul actively worked towards its destruction and then became one of the, the greatest early apostles to build the church. What an amazing transformation. Guilt doesn't get you there. Right? I picture Paul riding, right? He's riding along to Damascus on his donkey. And then Jesus speaks to him from heaven. You know you messed up if Jesus himself has to tell you you done messed up, right? That's like, that's like a whole different level of screwing up. Like, I've screwed up a lot of things in my life. Like, parents have yelled at me. Big Fred's yelled at me. Kevin doesn't really yell, but he does his, like, Texas Stern thing at me, right? Never once, so far. Has Jesus had to yell at me from heaven to stop doing what I was doing? That was Paul. I imagine in that moment, it would have been really easy for him to just pack up and go home. But I also imagine he felt pretty guilty about the reality of what was going on. Just confronted by God, kind of have to reconcile this, feeling guilty. So what does he do? Starts working, right? Well, I got I to gotta change. Like, Jesus called me out. He's calling me to the mat. I got to get this thing done. Guilt would only have carried him so far, though. I imagine that guilt would have given out right about the first time he was stoned. And not like the past kind of stoned, but the, like, big rock stoned. You know? Like, I I don't even have a framework to understand what that would feel like. A whole bunch of people being so angry at you that they hurl rocks at your physical body until you were dead. And that happened to Paul more than once. Left on the the side of town, stoned nearly to death, gets back up. If he's just motivated by guilt, right? This is the Forrest Gump moment. I'm tired. (laughs) I think I'm going to go home now. Right? All as far as like, that's it? (laughs) That's where it gives out. If it gets to that point, love carries him further. Moves him through shipwrecks, moves him through everything else until he's eventually killed 
for building the church. Only love does that. Only love does that. I think about Peter. Right? Peter, who was told by Jesus that he would deny him three times, is like, Psh, nah, I got your back, bro. I ain't heard of him. Peace. <laughs> right? Denies him three times. Realizing the truth of this, I'm sure he feels immense guilt and sorrow. And it's Jesus who deals with him in this moment. In John 21, 15 through 19, we see Jesus confronting him about this very thing. This is, this is after the resurrection. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Imagine this is getting harder for Peter to say every time. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? I imagine Peter struggling to even get the world out. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Do you love me? Jesus asks him. You know I do, Peter responds three times. And then Jesus tells Peter exactly what's going to happen. He's going to suffer and die for the name of Jesus for building the church If it is purely guilt that is motivating Peter in this moment, he turns around and goes home. He saves his life, plain and simple. But it isn't. Peter loves Jesus and will follow him even to death. Church, love is the essential ingredient that we need to build this work. It's the only way it works. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us towards this in 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, to gather, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what we hold on to. This is what moves us forward. It's not about fancy programs. It's not about having the best and brightest. It is about love, desperate love for Jesus, love for one another. It's love that unites us. It's love that builds us up and empowers us to build up others. It's love that transforms us, the church, more and more into the image of Jesus, who is the head. Love for Jesus that moves me from who I was into who Jesus is making me. Love for his word, love for time spent in prayer. I can't make you guilty enough to make the word a part of your life regularly. I can't make you guilty enough to make prayer a part of your life regularly. But if you love desperately your Father in heaven then you know you couldn't imagine going a day without connecting with him. It's love for my brothers and sisters that moves us to service. It's love for you that that calls us to give our time and our resources to use our gifts to build the body. You aren't going to serve people you don't know. You aren't going to sacrifice for people that you don't love. Are you connected into this life, into community in the body? 
Are you united here or are you simply existing nearby? Get connected. You can. You're invited. You, you get to. We want you to. And lastly, it's, it's love for those who don't need Jesus that moves us to speak truth, to communicate, to use our words when we would otherwise be silent, to speak the truth of who Jesus is when fear would call us to be quiet. Fear of how others might respond. See, love moved me to tell the people about Jesus. There are many things I've sung the praises of in my life. There are many things I've told people they need to check out or get for themselves. There are many things I have endorsed. My seal of approval stamped right on there. And, and here's the thing. Corporations know that we do this. They're banking on it. Because if they can win your affection, then they know you will be their spokesperson and you'll pay them for the right to do it. How do I know this is true? Anybody got something labeled Ford or Chevy in here? Anybody wearing something by Under Armour? Anybody rocking some Realtree, some Reebok? Yeah, that's how it works. You, you pay them for the right to brand yourself with their logos. And I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm sure it's great stuff, right? I'm not telling you not to. But the reason you do it is because you really like their stuff, right? Otherwise, why would I do it, right? I'm not telling you not to wear it. I'm not telling you not to encourage others to check it out. I'm saying that our love for Jesus should be so much greater than that. Should be so much bigger than that. So much so that we could not possibly contain ourselves for the joy and love that we have for him. Our love for him should bring such excitement that we cannot remain silent about it. Church, it is time to get out of the stands and get into the game. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.